Can we get some quick sports business out of the way? <laughs> it's been a while since we've started a show with uh, with sports, so so please. Are you joking? I think last week we did the week before potentially. Really? Yeah, it hasn't felt that way. No. Well, it's good. So pe- people won't be too bored by it. So the Giants are struggling this year pretty badly. So we've we've got I've got one uh, one negative story and one positive story to to bring to attention. So and you can you can provide some some color and some facts for me, but uh, what from what I understand, uh, Bumgarner is out for like most of the season because of a voluntary dirt biking accident or a recreational one. Yeah, I think they're saying through at least through the All Star break. Yeah, <clears throat> that's really unfortunate. Because we know that he he prides his um his uh, his free time and and kind of the the outdoorsy activities and that kind of stuff. But it's a it's a real shame that that unfortunately is probably going to have a detrimental effect to an already rough season, even when he was was here for the first couple of weeks. So there's that. But also you you brought to my attention something that I've seen a couple times, but I have some clarifying questions for. So. Buster Posey has been a spokesperson for Toyota, at least in Northern California. I'm not sure if it's nationwide or not, but there's been an ad recently where he goes to the dog park and he has a golden retriever. So I want to know if you've done any research, if you know, like, is this actually his dog or is this a, is this a show dog? So hmm, yeah, this, this is a, it's an interesting question you have. So this commercial came on last night or the, the night before and it, it was one of my first questions was, is this his, his real family, basically? And I considered starting to, to try to look into that and elected not to. Felt a, little, felt a little creepy. I don't know. I don't think searching Buster Posty dog into Google is, uh, is that creepy. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'm overthinking it. So I actually did just do a quick Google search, but <laughs> the vast majority of these are dogs named Buster Posey, which, which is a... Sure. Which I think in 2017, I think Google needs to know this. I think like machine learning and, and whatever the other things are um, should have the Google al- algorithms knowing that I, I want uh, to, to know about his family history. Or I think, you know, maybe the other aspect of this, maybe maybe a more subconscious answer to your question is, I, w- I want to believe that this is his real family. I want to believe that Buster Posey has a golden retriever. And if th- if that's not, in fact, the case, and if this is all just made up for TV, then I, I don't want to know. Well, hold on. Wait, is his wife in the ad? Well, I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's his real wife or not. Well, because I, I know what Kristen Posey looks like, because she like every um, well, you've, series you've seen the ad. Well, not now I have to look this up. It's not entertaining for uh, television, uh, YouTube, <laughs> or sorry, for for radio. Thank God this isn't on television. YouTube, Buster Posey, Toyota Dog Park. Well, I sent I sent you I sent you the link in the thing. I, I just I just sent it to you again. Wait, that does look like her. Okay. Hmm. Well, then that's that that's a good that's a good sign that perhaps the dog is his as well. See, we don't know though, just because even if he has an awesome dog, you can't trust that a dog is ready to be like in an ad with cameras around and, and on set for however long that takes so i assume it has to be a show dog even if he does have a golden retriever or something yeah all right so that's that um and then the other sports uh bit i wanted to know about since you're the nba guy um i've been hearing chatter overall of like um just in the space of people talking about <laughs> I can't, I can't, like, just to chatter among oh. the people, but the people sure. who enjoy, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. enjoy basketball. Yeah. 
No, the, the people the people know how well, well plugged in you are to all this stuff. Uh, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. There, there are some sports conversations I, I will totally take part in, but once it turns into uh, anything specific about the NBA, I, I, I tune out, or I don't have anything to contribute. So therefore, it's just, it's just background noise. But what I am hearing though is that since Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, the playoffs have been really unentertaining. So is that true? Because like we, we, we talked two weeks ago about how, like, how they are like, a, people don't necessarily like how often they win. But is it unentertaining to watch because of that? Well, there's there's been sort of this weird dynamic in the NBA, I think, throughout the entire season, where particularly in the Eastern Conference, the entire playoff race was was really close. Um, many seeds came down to literally the last day of the season. And then there were, you know, a handful of really interesting plot lines in the West with like Russell Westbrook averaging a triple double, um, you know, the Spurs continuing to be the Spurs, like a lot of a lot of good stuff throughout the season. But sort of the the undertone through all of that's been. Unless there's a huge injury or if something else just funky happens, we're inevitably headed towards another Cavs Warriors finals. So there's sort of like this kind of dichotomy where people are really excited about that because, I mean, the idea of those two two teams facing off again with them each having won one the last two years is is really exciting. But on the other hand, it's it it's makes everything else leading up to that really unexciting if if that outcome seems inevitable. And just to kind of you know put a exclamation mark on that point. Neither team's lost in the playoffs so far. The Cavs are six and zero, and the Warriors are five and zero. So, it, it's just sort of it's it's a you know it's it's, it's it, it, <clears throat> we want we want that finals matchup, but you know, basically seeing it coming from a mile away makes everything else just a little less exciting. Well, so then two follow up questions: Does that mean, or does that support my theory that the NBA finals or the NBA uh, postseason is far too long? or drawn out and are all the other like matchups that uncompetitive um well i mean we had like the the jazz and clippers go to seven but again that's a really good example of what i was just talking about where that series kind of on its face was exciting you know seven games it went back and forth but then if you think about it in the bigger picture that winner of that series was just playing to get swept by the Warriors in the next round. So, you know, it, it's on one hand, it's exciting, but on the other hand, it's, it's, it's kind of not. So were there teams this season that the Warriors had trouble against? Not, not in particular. No. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. So when did, when did the actual finals happen? Cause there's still three, sorry, two more full rounds of like winnowing down. Yeah, so they're, we're in the semifinals now. Each of those series is in the first or second game. I think the conference finals start around the middle of May, and then the finals will start, I think, probably the first week of June. Okay, so there's still like 13 more games? Um, or like well, sets of games until we get down? Yeah, yeah, th- that's about right. Okay. All right, my money's on the Warriors. Well, what 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 was their downside last year? Like, why did they, was it just that LeBron was just so unbeatable or he was just on like a hot streak? 
and that carried them through like or did the whole team have in like why why did it fall apart last year i forgot i mean Le- lebron lebron deserves a ton of credit he played tremendous in the last three games but no the, the big story was in game five which was a home game for the warriors when they were up three to one and they had a chance to close out the series draymond was suspended oh because he kept then, in yeah i remember that yeah now. So then, you know, game six was back in Cleveland. Um, Cleveland got off to just an amazing start in the first quarter and kind of never looked back in that game. And then, you know, game seven was sort of just back and forth the whole way. So the key the key last year was that not closing out things in, in game five moment, which was, you know, in large part because of Draymond not being there. Got it. And that ended up taking it back to Cleveland? Right. Got it. Okay, well... At least that's one other one one point of Bay Area pride that we'll have this year, because <laughs> the Forty ers still aren't good, and that and well, actually that's not going to happen. Like football doesn't start until December, ish <laughs> September. You're close. Okay, all right. I, uh-huh. I actually was. Yeah, right. Right season. Yep. December December's when the regular season ends. But yeah, because um, they're they're not doing anything, um, and uh, the Sharks could not wreck the rig. Is a thing I looked up. Right, they were unable to hashtag wreck the rig. That's right. See, the, the, this is the NHL's problem. <laughs> that is not a catchy slogan. That's that's the most hockey knowledge you've ever demonstrated on this program. I'm almost impressed. I googled it because I listened. There's a comedy podcast that I listen to that that has uh, two Canadian hosts. So I will occasionally hear about the Edmonton Oilers and like random Canada <laughs> things because uh, apparently hockey's big up there. And yeah, apparently, yeah, the Oilers. Yeah, that's a thing. Did okay. they? Did they? Did they not take too kindly to that slogan? No, no. It's just like that's how I knew what "wreck the rig" meant. Like, and put oh. two and two together. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, continuing on the sports thing, uh, did you have you seen all? Have you read any of the press coverage about the ESPN layoffs and kind of the the new reality of ESPN's business model? Yeah, I have. Um, mostly because many of the the hosts that I that I follow on on Twitter and elsewhere were impacted. Um, namely, Mark Stein, who's been a main NBA reporter of theirs for forever. Um, he was one of the ones impacted, which is really really shocking. Yeah. So, and did any like marquee on air ta- talent change, or not really? Um, I mean, definitely names that you would recognize, but none of the main, like, I guess, sports center hosts or anybody who you you would really, I guess, consider front and center now. Got it. So, I mean, what what, what do you think is going on? Or, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Because they've paid, because when ESPN was, it was in its heyday, and I'm not saying that it's over yet, but sports was one of those types of content that everybody would watch live. So people thought ESPN was completely impervious to time shifting and cord cutting and all that kind of stuff. So then like from 2012 to like 2015, actually probably up until today, ESPN just went absolutely nuts securing content rights and paying a lot of money to be able to have um, exclusive broadcast rights on television and also on their digital platforms. So they spent a lot of money on content, but the cord cutting uh, struggle seems to be more real than ever. So, yeah, like what what's going on? Well, I mean, I think it, <clears throat> it it's clearly a cost saving measure. I, mean, I don't, you know, not really sure how how else you could you could spin it. Um 
ESPN's in a in a situation where you know subscriber numbers are down not only today but it, it sort of seems like that's going to be the trend going forward and you know I think a a lot of their other costs you know namely the content deals they have with you know mostly the NFL and NBA those are fixed costs those are contracts that are you know in place for several years in the future so there's not really a lot they can do outside of on-air talent to to change you know their cost structure and if you know revenue shrinking and a big portion of their expenses are fixed it kind of leaves them in a spot where they you know if cutting costs in total is something they have to do there's virtually nowhere else to do it and they're not in a place to think of those talent and like uh employee costs as being just something that they have to stomach and ride through or do they think this is the new reality and the subscribership is just not coming back. Well, I think the other component to it too is asking the question, why do people tune into ESPN? Is it is it because of the personalities? I think certainly in the network's early days and then through the 90s and maybe even early 2000s, that that was probably the case, particularly when SportsCenter was even more of a marquee program where you had you know, Dan Patrick, you had Stuart Scott, you had Kenny Mayne, you had all these guys who I think people legitimately, you know, watch SportsCenter not only to get the highlights, but also to watch those personalities. And, you know, maybe the calculus today is that as SportsCenter's role has somewhat diminished, you know, with the rise of people just being able to watch highlights and things online and kind of get that sort of content elsewhere, you know, maybe the bet is that people don't necessarily tune in for the the talent anymore and so you could afford to you know spend a little bit less in that area hmm yeah that's probably true um do you think espn or disney ever starts negotiating on how much they charge per subscriber to hopefully force it into more skinny bundles and that kind of thing because that is one of the big knocks against ESPN is that like the main channel generally costs a subscriber like $7 a month. Or if you want all the ESPN channels, I think it's like 10 bucks. Um, do you think they try to get more competitive to claw back from any subscriber losses? Or do you think that's just not on the table because of how expensive the content is? I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say. Um, and, you know, I, I think ex- extending this conversation that I, we were just having about the necessity of having top on-air personality i mean in some ways i think if you're thinking about the conversation between espn and the and and the cable providers that that's really where the bulk of the the subscriber revenue is coming from the cable providers not directly from subscribers right well sure but again if if that most expensive piece of content becomes less popular in the eyes of customers or it's too expensive to maintain then eventually it's going to get worked out as the cable providers start being forced to offer smaller packages. So while it's not directly paid by the consumer, the consumer behavior affects whether the content provider actually, or sorry, the like the cable company actually chooses to include it or not. Right. But I mean, I think as people view content like ESPN in general as maybe being less important, I mean that doesn't that doesn't really give them a lot of doesn't give ESPN a lot of leverage in conversations with the cable providers to 
change that fee structure at all. Yeah, that's actually a fair point. Hmm. But, you know, I think um, the the flip side of what's happened this week, which is I'm still kind of trying to figure out is the so the, the rumor is that Adrian Wojnarowski, who is um, the kind of the main NBA guy on on Yahoo and, and kind of arguably the main kind of go to source for all NBA rumors and breaking news, ESPN hired him this week, which, you know, certainly couldn't have been a a cheap endeavor. I mean, I, I, he's, you know, Wojnarowski certainly should command a, a fairly sizable salary for the work that he's done the last few years. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know if maybe that's just a sign of consolidation where ESPN thinks that they can get away with just, you know, a handful of personalities to carry them or, or kind of, I, I don't know how else to sort of reconcile that news with everything else that we heard this week. For me, recently, the the most valuable piece of content coming out of ESPN is actually five thirty eight. So hopefully that doesn't change. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 very true. Yeah, I, it's interesting how they took um, how they pivoted a little bit and and went like what they've done with thirty for thirty. When did they start that? Like two thousand five, something like that. Yeah, I mean that's actually a pretty smart move because not only does it provide like evergreen content for um, the channel when they don't have live sports to watch, but also they get to resell it to Netflix and all these other places around the world. So that that was actually a really smart move on whoever whoever did that. But yeah, I, I think it's I think it's super smart, um, and I I think they've they've actually been effective with trying to come up with some of this other content, but. At the end of the day, I think the fundamental issue is that the advertising dollars behind something like 30 for 30 and even the residuals from Netflix and others, that money in the aggregate just doesn't come anywhere close to advertising revenue from the NFL or the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how it goes. I, I, and, I and I fault myself as um, being somebody who – I don't think I was blind to it, but I think I um, – I was too conservative or um or overly pessimistic um about how much cord cutting or um bundle like downsizing would actually become a thing. Cuz I think I mean probably for us again cuz we do enjoy live sports we probably are still people who would subscribe to like a standard cable package for a lot longer than the normal customer would. But yeah, but I I think I I maybe didn't give give enough due to to that movement. I think it's it's um and actually so um I was before the show I was watching Tim Cook gave an interview to Jim Cramer mm-hmm. um after earnings this week and one of the areas they talked about which is like almost a contractual obligation with any interview with an Apple executive at this point is asking them about their TV plans. Um so that that came up and you know Cook made a comment about how Cord cutting is sort of just this accepted eventuality, but what's been surprising, particularly recently, has been the speed at which that's been happening. And I would compare it in some ways to a streaming video with Netflix, where when Netflix first announced that that was something that they were going to start doing and that they were going to start transitioning away from physical DVDs, you know, your first thought is like, oh, yeah, no, totally. Like, that's the obvious next step in in their business, but it's going to be five years, going to be 10 years before that's like the standard. And it felt like a year later, it was basically just like everybody had streaming Netflix. I mean, it probably took a little longer than that, but it 
it happened much, much quicker than I would have anticipated. And I think, you know, today we're seeing it like we talked a bunch last week about like self-driving cars. It kind of feels like shit, like that felt like the far future forever. And like all of a sudden it seems like we're just a handful of years away from that becoming a thing. So, yeah, I think I think this this cord cutting thing is, is right in there. It's it's happening way quicker than than I would have thought. Yeah, and then one other like uh tangent off of that is that uh, I think like it just the, the dynamics of where like the where the key content is is changing so much where like I mean a lot of the um like hot buzz in in like popular television programs are mainly on netflix and to a lesser extent on hulu and amazon like that new there's some new tv show uh or like tv series called uh the handmaiden's tale that's supposed to be really uh well received or like well reviewed and very popular it's like a, a hulu exclusive like you don't see that many television programs being on stuff that's on cable so therefore if somebody's going to cut the cord or um choose to do like only over the top services a lot of times the content that they actually care about isn't on the old traditional networks so there's there there's very little to be lost and i think that's one of the things i discounted i didn't think that netflix would get so uh heavily into the actual original content game right yeah no that's i think that's a really really smart point but the you know the 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 thing that i get hung up on and i, I bring this up every time we talk about cord cutting is this movement, this transition away from traditional TV to strictly just having an internet connection and streaming all of your video would be way more interesting and I think have a much bigger impact on the industry if it were a completely different set of companies that operated your internet connection. But when you decide to, and I'm I'm doing you know my air quotes thing, when you decide to cut the cord, in some ways it's like a misleading term because all you're doing is just signing up for a different service with the same company. And so as more and more people get rid of their traditional TV service, it sort of just, it just sort of feels like, you know, 10 years from now or whenever most people are just streaming video, we're going to end up with exactly the same problems as we have today with traditional TV, because it's it's the same people who are, who are controlling your internet connection as are, who are controlling that, you know tv service that people are trying to get away from yeah but and also that i mean i assume that's why comcast and um at&t and so many other people have invested so heavily in trying to acquire uh content creators like the same way that comcast owns uh universal nbc dreamworks and all these other properties that they even if they even if the subscriber revenue drops um they still end up getting the money some way or another right all right. Uh, where are we? Well, it's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing we have really strong uh, net neutrality uh, regulations in place that'll you know forever protect us against any sort of you know malicious behavior that might occur as a result of these um, internet providers also being in control of content. It's a good good thing we have that. Yeah, uh, I'll let you stitch that together because we're not going to talk about that yet. <laughs> That's way further down. Okay. Um, a quick bit of uh, I think follow out is the term. Explain something because I actually didn't catch this earlier until I was scrolling up in Slack. Uh, did did you ask the question that was featured on Snell Talk, or what, what were you, what were you, what was this about? Oh yeah, I um, when um, Nine to Five Mac ran that story, 
about someone spotting the Apple Lexus self-driving car driving around. Mm -hmm. Um, That article came out like the day after last week's episode of Upgrade, and, and they had made a comment in that episode about how it was totally just a matter of time before somebody somebody spotted that. So I I immediately sent them the link. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. Congrats. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then for follow up, uh, we talked at length about Uber and all their controversies and their uh, their their bad hundred days. Or... <laughs> oh man. <sighs> Did you see the John Dickerson thing when he was in the Oval Office, giving him an interview for Face the Nation? I did. Mm-hmm. You saw the, but you the specific part where he just walks away. Yeah, yeah. In in an oval room where you can't walk away. Right, <laughs> right. Did you also did you also see the other part where somebody asks him about? Well, actually, no. I think it was the same interview where he asks him, uh, "What did you think of like what George W. Bush said about?" Like something about a metaphor about the Oval Office, and it was it was meant to say that Bush was saying that um, ultimately the buck stops here, and that um, Trump started talking about yeah you, you're you're very right the Oval Office yeah uh, there there are really no places to hide and nobody's ever really outside. Like it's it's just surreal to watch this stuff sometimes. But um, what was he talking about? No Uber. Okay, so yeah, so uh, Travis Kalanick is um, actually he uh, was scheduled many months ago to be at the Code Conference that uh, Recode does every year, which is uh, Kara Swisher and uh, well, actually, no, Walt Mossberg. He doesn't do it anymore because he's at the Verge now, right? And he, on top of that, he's retiring anyway. But yeah, the the, the movement. I feel like it, there's been so much movement with Recode and the Verge and personalities there. It's it's impossible to keep up. Got it. So is it just her doing the interviewing? I don't know. Anyway, but like, so, um, see, he was scheduled to attend and then apparently because of the issues that Uber has and, and probably the fact that he would have gotten absolutely, uh, skewered by her. Cause she, she's actually a really tough and smart interviewer. She is. Um, and, she, and she's ruthless too. And which is also, I don't know if you read the, um, the story that she put announcing that. And it was just so, um, like so harsh and, and just, like uh fire emoji i can't think of the actual word to use but like it, it <laughs> do you know what i mean i do um it was just oh it was crazy but it, it was it was very good um so yeah that that was kind of that was kind of a letdown apparently he's sending uh ariana huffington instead and some other lady uh who is is high up at uber i, I don't know her name or what she does but um one of the things that uh, swisher said was that um uh, to do one person's job, she's sending. Uh, he's sending two women from Uber, which seems fitting. I forget what it was, but I, I wish I had the article in front of me. But anyway, that, that was that was pretty good. And then also on that note, the uh, the Waymo um, and Uber trial started today, and that's been just about as awful for Uber as you could possibly expect to. So they're they're having a good year. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, on to on to the main stuff. Uh, Apple announced earnings this afternoon. I was uh, yesterday, wasn't it? Wasn't it today? It was yesterday. Nobody knows when we record this, so <laughs> let's let's just go with it. Okay. Yeah, well, Sorry, we'll, 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 we'll cut that out. It's because uh, Tim Cook did his media parade today. That's got me thrown off. Got it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just quick recap. I mean, it's it's 
pretty much what people expect just because the iPhone is kind of where it is. iPhone sales were down slightly, but pretty much flat. So that that's a business that's not growing anymore. Um, iPad, the iPad is, is still a disaster that's still shrinking every single quarter um, in terms of both revenue and unit sales. Um, service revenue is up because Apple wants to be a services company. They're all in on Apple Music and charging you for iCloud storage space. Um, the watch doubled in sales numbers, allegedly, but we don't know what the baseline is. Uh, Mac is up slightly uh, in terms of unit sales, and actually healthily in terms of revenue. So um, the margins on those machines are better, so they're selling more Mac Pros. Um, I think that was the gist of it. So, yeah, so it was an EPS beat, but uh, revenue was um, missed slightly. Yeah, and I think w- what people focused on with the revenue number was was iPhone, and iPhone sales came in, I believe, a little a little short in terms of unit sales, which was then sort of partially offset by a higher mix of of plus phones, much much to your chagrin. Yeah, yeah, for for a uh, number of reasons, but yeah, <laughs> average selling prices up, so there they are forcing people. They've offset some of the. Um, uh, the shrinkage that was there due to the popularity of the SE. Um, so the seven plus models are, are, are making up for that. Right. And I think, so for me, by far and away, the most interesting comment that came in the call afterwards was, you know, Tim Cook obviously got asked about sort of the, you know, iPhone unit sales numbers coming in a little bit lower than, than folks expected. And one of the things that he cited was, more frequent and earlier rumors this year than in other cycles, which uh-huh. is, um, that's a load of crap. I, no, I, I don't think so at all. You, I, I, the CEO I think cannot a, make excuses for that because, because no, because all that speaks to is the fact that they've recycled a design for a, for a third year. So of course the rumor mill is going to be out in full force this year. So, when you're selling something in the tens of millions every every three months, I don't think you get to say rumor sites are the reason that you're not selling enough. Maybe the problem you're not selling enough is that you decided to delay, a, uh, you decided to be courageous and recycle a product for the third year. Well, I guess I, I don't know. I guess I don't, I didn't mean to take it in that direction. I just meant it's a kind of a remarkable thing to sort of ad- admit because Apple's normally sort of just super almost oblivious to to rumors they really do just sort of at least publicly seemingly just sort of ignore them um and i i can't remember a time you know going back to like the lost iphone 4 prototype days where apple's been sort of with sort of directly acknowledged rumors in, in this sort of way i th- i think it just has to be an excuse because what what else do you say when you, the well, actually, no, this isn't the first quarter of uh, iPhone sales shrinkage, but it, it, it's, I mean, year on year, of court, like for the same quarter, like normally it actually, has there been one where, where iPhone sales have shrunk? Year over year? Year over year for the same quarter. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's generally what well, yeah, year yeah. over year means. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm, so I'm, I'm looking, and so anybody should... Anybody who wants to dig into these numbers should, you know, look at six colors because they it's got this this awesome post with a bunch of um, amazing graphs. And 
I, I mean, I thought that was that was the big thing with um, wasn't that the big thing with the the six and then the six S that Apple for the first time had year over year um, shrinkage because there was so much pent up demand for the larger screen phones that the iPhone six just sold like complete gangbusters and then the following year there was year over year declines and that was the first time that 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 that, that had happened isn't isn't wasn't that what happened maybe hold on so let's see um yeah so oh, you, yeah, so if right. you look at the iphone year over year revenue growth so this isn't units but i mean presumably units fell or followed the same path rather which is throughout 2016 there was year over year decline because there was such a spike in 2015 which apple's you know contributed to the pent-up demand around bigger screen phones which you know makes sense okay i mean but it's it's still i don't know i don't think that's anything like i just don't think he should have like i don't think that there's any point in bringing that up because like what is to be gained from that again because 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 if you're if you're saying that if rumors are a valid are something that's actually keeping somebody from buying the current model phone that suggests that your current product offering leaves a lot to be desired yeah i i mean i i guess but um i i don't i don't i guess i i don't think it's nearly as an unreasonable thing to cite i i, I don't know if if the impact is maybe as big i don't know if it, it warrants being called out like on an investor call but to me that's a totally reasonable thing where if there's a consensus in the market that this year's phone is going to be a huge upgrade like if if word of that's gotten around even wider and earlier than it normally does then clearly that's going to have an impact on people's desire to buy the current phone absolutely but i i think it's i think it's a reasonable observation and it's probably a correct observation i think it's an unreasonable observation for the ceo to make well but i i, I guess your your sort of characterizing the reason why the rumors are around in the first place which which isn't really the point here well sure but the but the ceo like ha, apple is always so careful with its messaging that that this just feels kind of sloppy i don't know i, I think it's candidly honest <laughs> mm. if, if you want to be candidly honest you could tell us what the apple watch actual sales numbers are <laughs> well they've, they've rather doubled. than saying they're either off the charts or they've doubled like give us axes for graphs if 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 he wants to to be that that honest and and, and real with us, yeah. Um, but I mean, on that. So, what 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 are your thoughts on the Apple Watch, which which apparently is selling better than it has been in the past? But again, we don't have a frame of reference. I think I think the Apple Watch is an accessory, and it gets it gets treated like a main apple product mostly because that's that's the way that apple refers to it but in my eyes the watch is and and always will be just just an accessory and you know because of that i think people's expectations and, and again a lot of this relies with apple's messaging but i think people's expectations are like there's no other accessory that apple sells that would be treated this way and so I, I think people sort of having these lofty expectations for the watch, just it'd be like people going nuts and wanting to know sales numbers for like the next, you know, big Beats headphones or something. Uh, I, I hmm. like I, I don't I I disagree just because I think that Apple like the, the way this product was pitched in the amount of attention that they spent on it. 
just makes it seem like Apple is seem like, well, this is our next logical like pillar. Like you have, you have your Mac, you have your tablet and you have your iPhone. And then here's your fourth thing. And this is, this should be basically a three to $500 bolt on to every single iPhone sale that's happening. And it's obviously not happening that way. No. Well, and that's, I'm not sure Apple quite took it that far, but, but I agree that they didn't quite message. They didn't quite message what the watch was. I I, I think they, they, they introduced it in a very similar way that they did the original iPhone. You had like three things in one message, blah, blah, blah. This is the next big thing. This is the next big, you know, we, we, we came up with the scroll wheel. We came up with the touchscreen. Now we came up with the digital crown. Like this is the next evolution in our, you know, our design, our, our um, user interface design, user input design. But that's just, that's not what the watch is. The, the watch, the watch is a, solid accessory for certain iPhone users. And that's all it, that's all it ever will be. Well, don't, when tell, it, you Tim, know, don't tell Tim that. <laughs> <laughs> when it when it eventually gets, you know, like cellular functionality and, you know, other upgrades over the years, it, it will certainly become more of a standalone product, but but never never in the way that the phone or the iPad or any of the Macs ever will be. That's just not what the watch. That's not what the watch is. Sweet, are you saying that the Mac is a more product, uh, important product than the watch? Of course it is. Okay, please tell Phil that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they necessarily see it I mean, that way. I mean, not, not. I mean, not only. I mean, taking like a, a huge step back. I mean, like watches. Watches in general are just not really a thing anymore. I mean, that's that's been one of you know. If you if you were to like come up with a list of product categories that have been most impacted by smartphone adoption, I mean you would probably number one you'd put digital cameras on that list. But then, you know, also somewhere on that list would be watches. I mean nobody nobody even wears a watch anymore because of phones. Well, that I would actually disagree with because I think uh the whole fitness tracking craze is actually something that's here to stay. And I don't think that's something that's best suited for a phone. So no, I think that uh, being connected to a watch and making the watch a much more important or some like wrist-based like wearable, a really, really important part of consumer technology going forward. Yeah, but that but that but that's proving my first point, which is that this is, you know, you would consider a wearable like that, a fitness tracker, an accessory, not a, you know, product pillar, I think, as you used earlier. Well, no, I don't. I don't mean like it's a central like. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think Apple thinks that there are like you walk into an Apple store, and if you're the ideal customer, you're buying these specific things. And I do think they think it's that important of a product. I don't think pe- people they think people are buying these in place of a Mac or something. But I think they. I think like if they think that everybody should have one. That it should be maybe not one to one with the iPhone purchase rate, but it's it's. I think they think that it's probably way more than whatever eight or nine percent, and that's probably higher than it actually is. Like attachment rate they have going right now. Well, I think so. I I think the watch had the same problem that the iPad had, which is, and it I I don't I guess I don't exactly know how much blame to put on Apple versus how much blame just to put on people's expectations of Apple. It's definitely some combination of those two, but both with the iPad and with the watch, 
those products were introduced essentially as being the next iPhone in terms of it being sort of a, a cultural icon, of it being a economic success, whereas Apple should be running as far away as they possibly could anytime they introduce a new product from the iPhone because there's there's not going to be a next iPhone any anytime soon. And and having having those types of expectations for any product is is sort of just setting it up for failure from the start. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Unfortunately, I just I have trouble reconciling the fact that they they treated it so with such great importance for the first year and a half when it was when it was super half baked. And that and that's what I'm saying that you know I, I think a component of it certainly is unfair market and consumer expectations, but those unfair expectations are. F- clearly fed by the way that apple angles these products yeah i mean to be honest i i mean this is probably not (laughs) this is probably why i'm not in marketing but um i i I could i could make a case for why that the apple watch should have been introduced as an iphone accessory i mean it required an, an iphone so it's not like it was any big secret that you couldn't own it without first owning an iphone so i i I guess I, I I'm sort of struggling with. I mean, I, I guess I know why you wouldn't do that, but it 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 seems like that would be a more appropriate way to describe what the watch was and, and still is. I, I think Apple just struggles with with ever introducing or discussing anything new without like this level of like extreme profundity. Like everything has to be just insanely great and the best, and has to have like all these like features that are going to change your life. Like they they when they originally announced the Apple Watch, it was it was an incredibly accurate timepiece. It was a fitness accessory or it was a fitness something or other and then what was the third thing? Like wasn't it all that that digital the, touch BS? Yeah, it was the revolutionary communication device. Which isn't all that crap either like isn't like it not a feature anymore or it's buried under like 18 menus now? Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just not, it's not very, like, you know, a lot of it you access directly from that circle friend thing that the... Which is gone, or at least it's it's buried underneath a lot of stuff. So it, it's that where Apple just has, it like, it seems like anything that's new or in, in, in when during the introduction, there has to be like this, like, everything has to be so profound. Like, they couldn't have just said, here's our new... Uh, Apple Watch, it's it's fantastic. Look at it. You can set timers. Your phone's not going to be buzzing in your pocket anymore. You get these notifications on your wrist that you can customize in a great way. It's got a heart rate sensor. It's it's pretty all right at fitness tracking, and that's it. We think you should buy it because that would have been that would have been insanely honest, and people would have bought it. But uh, and but then people went and actually got it, and were super disappointed with how slow, clunky difficult to use and and poor so many of those things actually worked that they tried to sell the public on well and people people can go back and listen to those pre-apple watch episodes of ours but that's exactly what i was saying as an owner of the pebble at the time is that if the apple watch if all it is is basically a notification screen for your iphone that is hugely hugely valuable and if i remember correctly you said it needed to be more than that but but that's (laughs) but you know probably we, we all we all live and learn um, but I, know, I think I think this is all a, this is all a, a nice a nice segue into some of the other news that came about Apple Watch this week with a bunch of apps abandoning Apple Watch support, and I think it it speaks directly to this idea that Apple treating the watch 
well, like the iPhone, in this case, demanding that there was app support, it, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, apps never should have been and still shouldn't be a focus on the watch. And in fact, you know, I, I would make the case that like the concept of like an app should just not even exist on the watch at all. The watch should, and, and Gruber's take on this Apple Insider article that, that sort of spawned the news about um, apps leaving watchOS or dropping watchOS support, I think is really smart where, um, should try to find the, try to find the quote here. Yeah, Apple Watch is not a successful app platform. It's a successful fitness tracker and notification platform, but not for apps. So, and and I think that's you know that's that's exactly I think that's exactly right. Yes, but it should still have app extensions. I mean that that's the tricky thing, where like if you do have like a running app or something like that, like it would be really nice to be able to start that run from your watch. But I think the way Apple originally framed it, like it. And if you, if you ever like wanted to, if you ever had a couple hours to spare, like go back to some of those old WWDC sessions or like uh, the introductions of it where like they, they actually think people are going to browse Instagram on their watch and deal with the Bluetooth latency and the really minimal interaction or that you're going to book things on OpenTable on your watch. Like all these were just ridiculous ideas where really it's mainly just like the, the, the interactions that you should have on the watch can be summarized by just saying like rich notifications, like the app can tell me something and then give me a couple of useful things I can do with it. But you still like that, that damn honeycomb thing still exists. And every app that you download on your iPhone automatically forces its way onto the watch. And sometimes you get back down to that screen and you just wonder what's going on because it's all so slow. Well, you, you know, you can turn that off, turn what off apps don't have to install themselves on the watch when you install them on your phone. But then I still have to go and uninstall. Like that's that only applies to applications going forward, right? Yeah, right. Well, yeah. Then I still have to uninstall because yeah, because <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm set my ways. I have my core apps, and I don't install new stuff. New stuff is scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The watch is tricky, just because again, like I think you you forgot your watch at home a couple of weeks ago, and I think mine failed to charge for some reason recently and and I do like for a product I love to hate or or love to be disappointed with like when when you do miss out on the couple of things it is actually really good at um it's a bummer but the thing is Apple never talks about any of those and I think they'd have success if they said like just you don't have to dig your phone out of your pocket anymore there's no more buzzing it's just it's that those are valuable things right it's it's all about how you view the watch if you view it as being an app platform similar to the iPhone, and then if you're expecting rich app experiences like you have on the iPhone, then then you're going to be tremendously disappointed. But if you expect it to be a convenient and efficient way to manage notifications on your phone and to track your activity throughout the day, then it's phenomenal. I mean, that's all I ever expected the Apple Watch to be. I I think, again, going back to those those pre-release episodes of our show all i wanted it to be was a way better more integrated version of the pebble because i was generally pretty happy with the pebble and that, and and that's exactly what apple watch is and i'm you know i'm super i'm super happy with it the only to, to me the only thing the watch is missing is a cellular connection once it has that i there's really nothing else that i need from it can i ask why 
Because I, I actually don't really get that. I it, it's a lot of it comes down to the the fitness stuff where the idea of just having the watch with me is super compelling. Like Overcast came out with an update this week or, or last week where you can download podcasts easily directly to the watch app now and, and just stream stream music from from the watch without your phone, which is which is great. But you know, I still want to be able to get notifications and take phone calls and things when I'm out on a run. And you know, you can't do that without your phone, obviously. So I, I really I, I really I really want to be able just to go out without without my phone in situations like that. So the the only things I would say about that is like I I've been back on the ATP bandwagon for a little bit, but um, he was talking about at length about how he made those, um, how he made that work. And that involves recompressing uh, most podcast episodes and so many things that are linked to the phone itself where standalone stuff like that wouldn't work at all. Well, I think, I mean, I, I would hope that when the day comes that Apple Watch gets cellular technology, I would certainly hope they don't just slap a 3G or LTE chip in the in the watch and say, okay, here you go. Like I would hope there'd be sort of a a rethink around how software runs on the watch. But the, but then if you're saying it's not an app platform, then how how is that uh how do those two ideas reconcile? Mm, I I don't I don't know if things like well I <laughs> sorry. No, I it's a fair question. I just I think that like audio streaming and fitness tracking like that's not really what i would think of as being like a full app experience like that's not browsing the web that's not managing passwords that's not reading the news oh man i forgot how bad one password for the watch was or i guess maybe maybe a better way <laughs> maybe a better way of of bucketing things like listening to a podcast is those are applications that don't require you to look at the screen and i mean those and those are clearly the types of i guess if we're just going to have to use the word apps we'll stick with that those are the types of apps that that work well on the watch but anything that requires you to do a bunch of tapping or looking at the the tiny little screen like that's that's just never going to work yeah the only thing the only reason why i I'm pessimistic on the idea of cellular is that one, I don't, I just don't think the the battery life is going to work itself out. Cause I personally think the Apple watch is probably a little bit too thick right now. Um, so they have to find a way to figure that out. And they also have to, they have to find a way to increase the power on it a little bit because I know I still have a series one and it's probably a little bit different on a, or actually, sorry, I have a series zero and the series two probably has fewer performance issues, but I th I'm pretty sure it's still not as snappy as it needs to be. And I think if you throw on LTE, slim it down a little bit, and and beef up the processor, that you're just not going to have any room for battery, or the battery life is going to be it's going to be atrocious on it. Yeah, and I, I think that's <clears throat> that's probably why cellular is not going to be like the next version, maybe the version after that at the earliest. If I had to guess. Yeah. All right. To round out the Apple stuff, um, what are you thinking about the rumors on uh, the Echo competitor that apparently is in the works? Oh, the uh, the Hi-Fi 2.0. Do you think it's going to be that big? <laughs> I, I would hope not. <laughs> um, Am I misremembering? Did that one, was that one portable, but you had to operate, you have to like put in like 8D batteries or am I just misremembering? I thought you had to have it 
plugged in. Sorry, iPod Hi-Fi. I, I could be wrong about that. <laughs> it, it It is uh, battery-operated with six D-cell batteries. Oh, my God. Oh, Steve. And it would probably last about 95 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Siri on the phone continues to not do anything for me. So the idea of then trying to use, you know, Siri in, in the home isn't something I get super excited about. Like if, if I was a, a heavy Siri user on the phone and I could then extend that into into the house, then sure, this would be something I'd be excited about. But I mean, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with with my Echo and and the two dots that I have. And I just I don't Apple's going to have to give me a really good reason why their why theirs is better. And some some of the early rumors have been that it's a lot of it's going to be around like speaker quality that they're going to build in some of the beat stuff. Mm. Which which just kind of means that there's probably going to be way too much bass, but like that like that really doesn't do it for me. Like I I don't I don't care at all about the speaker quality on these devices. I <clears throat> I have a sound bar on my TV which I can AirPlay to. I've got the Bose SoundLink Mini in the kitchen. Like I don't I don't need another you know I don't need another high end speaker. Yeah, I don't know. Like this has if this exists. Which, again, this goes into the discussion of, of what businesses does Apple actually need to be in? Because apparently, like, some of the stuff that I thought was actually the core competency of Apple, like, you know, like displays and, and Wi-Fi routers and that kind of stuff, they don't need to be in. Um, but, like, is this something they need to do? Maybe. But this kind of has to be released alongside major upgrades to Siri, right? Because compared to uh, Google Assistant and to a lesser extent, uh uh echo slash alexa like it needs to get better because right now it's 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 still it dumps you back into that whole this is what i found on the web for you type thing and it hasn't really changed much in the past three years i think ios 7 was probably the biggest um revamp of what siri does and it's just it's still not that satisfactory or useful of a product for anything beyond the most basic of requests totally i mean if, if this product if all it is is bringing the siri that we know in ios today to a standalone device that's that is not compelling at all and but to be honest i, I could see that being a thing that apple gets excited about and thinks other people are going to be excited about I, I could totally see them on stage doing all the little neat demos that they do with siri also saying what a nice design it is, you know, talking up the the speaker quality. I, I could see all of that, and them thinking that that's a compelling product. But but for me, that that does nothing. Yeah, and it and it's and it's super. I mean, it's it's super late to the game. I mean, if if we're talking about a product like that, like pre Echo, like e even back then when Siri was really really rough. Like actually, would that'd be pretty interesting? Like, oh, okay, you can have this this voice assistant in the home, but you know, not only is Siri still not that great, but it's also years and years behind home use. You know, particularly with the Echo and and you know, even Google now. 
So it's, it's, I mean, it literally is sort of a, a textbook definition of too little, too late. Yeah. The only way I can envision this being like very compelling would be if it somehow through iCloud or some type of backend service was really tightly integrated between like three different products. Like if, if um, Siri on the iPhone, Siri on whatever this Hey Siri device is going to, damn it, this box is going to be. <laughs> um this box is going to be and if it also integrated with the voice stuff on apple tv like if it kind of knew where in your house you were like if like a request in the kitchen would easily translate into something visual on the television set or that you could walk out the door with on your phone like i think that is the like potential unfair advantage that apple has in this space because they kind of they own the stack to use like your type of terminology and like that is something that could be really cool, but again, Siri would have to be a hell of a lot better to do that, because that is one of the things where, like, the Alexa app on um, Amazon or on your iPhone is really not very good. So doing anything that involves the Echo um, without just standing immediately in front of it is not that useful. Well, but I, I think what you're describing is, is is exactly what we were just getting at, which is in order for this thing to even have a chance of being interesting, it has to really represent a big step forward for Siri. And, and Siri doesn't have any of that like cross device functionality or anything today. No. So if it like, I think that like it would all like this would have to be like 80% software. And this would just be another way to implement it. Yeah, but I mean, again, like rumors are rumors, so we'll see. But I mean, all indications, everything we've heard about this product so far has been around the hardware design and the speaker quality. Like, I haven't heard anything about there there being some big leap in Siri technology. So I I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that's about it for Apple snuff. Um. So you put something in here that's gonna be all you. What 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 is what What's Nintendo doing with portable devices? So they announced a a new handheld, so something that's that's not the Switch. This is the 2DS XL. So if if you'll remember, you know Nintendo's uh, last uh, standalone portable device, but before the Switch was the 3DS. They they did come out with a a, a 2D version of it, but but 3D was sort of their initial big feature. And then, you know, over time, they they did sort of get a, get away from it. Most most software de-emphasized 3D use, um, and just overall, it was just not something that people really paid a whole lot of attention to. But now, anyway, so the, the this 2DS XL kind of represents the the final piece of Nintendo fully just getting away from the 3D thing. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't put all of their focus in on the Switch. And, you know, I've, I've said it before on the show, I mean, and lots of people have sort of said this, which is in order for the Switch to be really successful, because, you know, it, it's its whole premise is this is an all-in-one home and portable gaming system. You know, Nintendo has a long history of having successful types of consoles in both spaces. Here is a, a combination of the two in, in a single device. But in order for that to to really reach its full potential, Nintendo needs to be solely focused on that. And them continuing to develop other portable platforms is just going to put them into the same problem that they've had before, which is 
when they've had two different systems, one for the home, one for portable, it splits their attention, it splits developer support, and it's it in some ways sort of undermines, you know, both the home and the portable experience. So it's just it's just a little a little disappointing to see, you know, Nintendo not just put everything they have behind um behind the switch yeah that yeah is it do you think it's a money thing or do you think they just feel that they need to have unique products and that they're like they are a company that's like defined by mobile gaming as being like one of the two key things they do like do they think the switch just doesn't address all the market or that that people aren't going to buy it and they want a purely handheld thing like what what's the motivation I, I think it, it's mo- a lot of its price. I mean, the the Switch, while you know cheaper on on the home console side of things, it, it's you know it's three hundred um, compared to something like the PlayStation Four Pro, which is four hundred, and then you know Microsoft's coming out with their Scorpio thing this year, which is going to be four or five hundred bucks. So the, you know, the Switch is relatively affordable from that perspective, but from a handheld perspective, three hundred bucks is still a lot of money. And, you know, this 2DS XL, the, the big thing, which we haven't mentioned yet, is it's 150 bucks. So I think that's still a huge market for Nintendo, particularly for, like, younger kids, where parents might not necessarily want, you know, to give their five-year-old a $300, what's basically a tablet, but they might be okay with a, you know, $150 just portable, you know, portable gaming device. I think I have a different. I have a, I have a proposition I can make Nintendo that would solve other problems. They could just make iOS games. <sighs> yeah, like because doesn't you're that not, solve this problem? I mean, doesn't that solve this problem? I mean, yeah, you're 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 not wrong. Um, it's it's just it's it's that's going to be a hard. It's going to be a hard step for Nintendo to take. They've been they've been in the you know gaming hardware business i mean they arguably pioneered the home console business and that's you know it's been the case for 30 years now so that's it's going to be tough to just just to to walk away from that even if it is the right thing to do i mean because the thing well because i again i don't know anything about the 3ds or the 3ds was the 3ds xl a thing or is that made up in my head yeah no that that's that's right like, do all of these run the same games, or does this whatever does this new console or or handheld does this run an entirely different set of games? The, this runs the same set of games that the the 3ds does. Okay. And is anybody making games for this other than Nintendo? Like, what what is the hand? What is the third party handheld gaming landscape? Look it's like? it's not not very big. Okay. So this is completely first party. So it, Nintendo could just make iOS games that were like using their their key properties. It just have run across a, a way more devices. Well, how much does a, a game cost for a, a Nintendo handheld? I think a lot of 3DS games are like thirty bucks ish. Yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe now I can see why they won't want it. they don't want to do it. Because because everybody everybody balked at the ten dollars they were asking for Mario Run, so. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe, but Mario Run, even well, compared it to something really like a, a game. No, I mean, it was it was that, that, actually that was a weird experiment. Yeah, I mean that. 
and that was arguably not even ten dollars worth of content. So, okay. Um, so 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 actually, um, also some some real time follow up, which I know you love. So I I feel like a complete idiot about my whole Apple Hi Fi joke because I I've been running with that on the show on Twitter, kind of everywhere this week with all the Siri speaker rumors. Mm-hmm. It 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 was called the iPod Hi Fi. Wait, what what have you been saying? I've been saying Apple Hi-Fi. Oh, no, it's iPod Hi-Fi. iPod Hi-Fi. That's because it went right along with the socks. That was the whole thing. iPod socks, iPod Hi-Fi. Also, I mean, they, I've, I've incorporated the socks part into some of the jokes that I've been making. So I remember that, but I, I did not recall it being called the iPod Hi-Fi. Huh. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, now you can, you can, you can rewrite history and go edit it out. Huh. You can hold on to your claim that you had the largest inauguration audience. <laughs> That's right. Can I? Can I? Uh, can we talk about the Surface laptop? Uh, sure. Yeah. I I would not have predicted five or ten years ago that Microsoft would be making the best Windows hardware or or PC hardware. Like this seems like a pretty like maybe I don't know maybe I'm just a sucker for uh, dreaming that I would actually buy Microsoft products even though I won't because it runs Windows but. Because like I really like the the Surface Studio, I kind of like the Surface Pro Four. Like I mean, it it again it runs. If it ran OS ten, talk to me. But the um the Surface Book looks like an an incredibly competent laptop. Like something that you kind of wish that Apple would make, uh, compared to like the MacBook or some of these other ones. Um, for a great price that looks like a solid build quality. Um, some interesting aspects to it, and it just looks looks good compared to everything else that other people are churning out. So, what like do you do you think any of the Microsoft like first party computers sell in any high volume? I think I think the Surface has done pretty well, right? The Surface Pro, I, I think. I mean, I think it had a bit of a rough quarter this last quarter, but a lot of people sort of chalked that up to the hardware not being updated in a while. But I, I think that I think that line's mostly done pretty well. Yeah, I guess, yeah, probably the Surface Book is probably a really uh, niche product. But uh, other than that, no, like the Surface, yeah, that's a that's a good point. But this seems like something like just like a why not product. Like if you're in the market for uh, a mid-range Windows computer, like why wouldn't you buy this for $1,000? Yeah, one one thing that I, I'm, maybe you can help me out with here is I'm, I'm, I don't really follow like the Chromebook scene at all. But some of the commentary I've seen, particularly in this Recode article, which I'll put in the notes... Says that you know they kind of frames this as being like a, a Chromebook competitor, competitor in large part because of the price. But but Chromebooks aren't a thousand dollars, are they? I have no idea because because I've seen that comparison too. And the thing is, like to my knowledge, Chromebooks were always like you can get like a pretty pretty craptastic one for two hundred fifty dollars. But like there's some decent ones in like the four to six range has always been my understanding. So I'm I'm literally doing just a search like on Best Buy's website here, and they actually have surprisingly you can buy you can filter by operating system, and Chrome OS is one of the options here. And there's like 46 different Chromebooks. That's kind of amazing. But yeah, I mean they start at 179, and I'm seeing like a bunch in the 250 to 300 range, 229, 214, 399. I mean, I'm not seeing anything like over. Like, here's one for four ninety nine. 
Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, putting this next to the Chromebook, that seems kind of like a weird comparison. Well, I think part of it is, and maybe you can give me some insight because you're much more tuned into the, the Windows side of things. Um, this is the one of the first computers running Windows 10 S. And apparently Windows 10, the S means, doesn't stand for speed. It stands for you can only run stuff from the Microsoft App Store. So... So, yeah, so I was a little confused about this part. So is Windows S the only option out of the box on these things? And then you can upgrade them to a different version of Windows 10 if you want to. Is that is that how this works? I have no idea. But, but like, wait, is Windows S supposed to be just like a, a cost savings thing? I I thought I saw that like you could for like 50 bucks or something, you could upgrade to... I guess Microsoft wouldn't want you to call it a full version of Windows 10, but like the the non-S version where you could install like third-party apps and everything. So from, from Windows 10, frequently asked questions, Windows 10 S has many of the features of Windows 10 Pro, but for security and performance, it exclusively runs apps from the Windows Store and uses Microsoft Edge as its default browser. So... Yeah, like non-Windows Store applications. That, that's crazy. So is that what they're saying? Where that is how it's like a Chromebook in the sense that it's just a web browser and like specific apps? Hmm. But apparently, yes, you can switch to Windows 10 Pro through the Windows Store. Yeah, I don't like that at all. How much does that? How much does the upgrade cost? So I, I'm trying to look. So there's a register article. That that it's kind of a snarky article, so it's not really a good line to quote here. But it it's alluding to yeah, fifty dollars being a fee that you can pay to then be able to install third party apps. So here's here's a better one from Mobile Syrup, <laughs> and it has its 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 logo has the um, Canadian flag. Um, oh, no, I I like it then. Okay, they probably want the Oilers to win. It's pretty good. And it also tells me that $50 is approximately 63 Canadian dollars. I thought, I thought, I thought they were closer than that. Um, anyway, so yeah, so you pay a one-time fee of $50, approximately 63 Canadian dollars, to access Windows 10 Pro. Once upgraded, the computer, even Microsoft's new Surface laptop, will be capable of downloading and running programs in the internet similar to the standard version of Windows 10. Yeah, I don't like this. Okay. Addi- additionally, this is weird too. Additionally, anyone who buys the Surface Laptop, which runs Windows 10 S by default, can switch to Windows 10 Pro for free as long as they upgrade before the end of 2017. Yeah, again, I don't like this. No. Like, I don't see how this... I thought Microsoft was... I thought one of the big things with Windows 10 was Microsoft... And even Windows 7 to a lesser degree, Microsoft was was getting away from the Vista days and the pre-Vista days of there being like 18 different versions of Windows. Oh, you mean when the, when there was uh, a Vista Home Basic, Vista Home Premium, <laughs> Vista Ultimate, Vista Enterprise, Vista... You and I, you and I both had the, the, the honor of working in retail at that time and God, trying to explain... Trying to explain the difference between like, yeah, Home and Home Basic. I mean, oh my God. So sorry, from Wikipedia... Vista Starter, Vista Home Basic, Vista Home Premium, Vista Business, Vista Enterprise, and Vista Ultimate. Oh, and then there were 64-bit editions, of course, which came in different packages. Right, right. Oh, and Starter for emerging markets. 
Which I I remember that because it was artificially limited to running three applications at once <laughs> for no reason other than the fact that it was cheap. Yeah, like this is I I, I don't get why because here's the thing like I've I always thought that like uh new Microsoft was into being like just super um like straightforward and like they're trying to like eliminate the the BS like I thought that was the whole point of their first party products anyway which is like you know you you want a good Windows experience without needing like a bunch of crapware or um. You, you just come get it from us. But if you're selling people something under the guise of it being more secure just to get 50 bucks out of them, like, I don't see what... Just then make the computer 1050. Well, and the, the thing that, that, I, that I think is crazy is that you can get the upgrade to Pro for free through the end of this year, which is clearly an admission that that's the, that's the right experience. Like, they want the initial adopters of this thing to have what they think is the best experience... So why would you then sort of artificially take that away in 2018? It just doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And that is one aspect of, of Microsoft that's been a little bit weird, which is like they've, again, I don't, I don't follow, like I don't run Windows daily, but I've been reading a bunch of stories about like that Windows 10 was like foisted upon people. Like there was like, weren't they actually like sued or something for how aggressive the upgrade prompts were and, and how unclear they were to Windows 10? That's that sounds sounds familiar, yeah, yeah. And then like, I don't know. And like, yeah, and they were giving like free free upgrade licenses if you upgraded from some like I don't know, just the the artificial scarcity stuff seems weird. But then again, I like this fabric keyboard. This computer looks nice, and this this slate blue. Oh man, to get a MacBook that looks like that. Yeah, but like you said, Windows. No, no, I'm saying Microsoft, <laughs> Apple should steal that. Yeah. Ooh, a slate blue iPhone? I, I'd buy that. Not like Dodger blue, like a nice like steel slate blue. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, We didn't play today, did we? I think, you know, they, they're playing the Dodgers today, right? Well, I noticed a 13 to 5 blowout yesterday, but I don't know what it's saying. Yeah. I, th- I, thought they, I thought they were still playing LA today. Oh, top of the 10th, 1-1. One uh, All right, a lot of a lot of extra inning games. Yeah, Buster Posey with a game tie, uh, game tying RBI. All right, good man. Probably his dog motivating him. <laughs> um, okay, so that was that. All right, how are we doing on time? Do you want to talk about uh, my Eero troubles or the um, FCC? I do. I do want to hear about your Eero troubles, but then yeah, I think because of my joke early in the program, we got to get to the FCC stuff. <laughs> okay, we'll do my Eero. Uh, Actually, I am on my Eero right now, so there's a good chance this call will drop. <laughs> so I don't know what it is, but my so I, at your recommendation, I bought a, a two pack of Euros, and I thought it was probably fine. I I've actually only set up one of them because the place where all my networking and like server stuff is kind of in the exact center of my apartment, so I don't really like the coverage is completely fine with just one. But particularly with my Retina iMac. The Eero will do a thing where the computer will still think it's connected to the wireless network, but it will just not connect to anything. Like uh, LAN connections, like to my Synology and stuff, will uh, fail. Again, they won't like disconnect, but they just won't go anywhere. Um, and all web traffic just completely fails. And the only way to fix it is to either restart the computer or to uh, toggle the network connection off and on again which means any like finder windows I had open or anything that was using a network resource will just stop working. For instance, like Lightroom or something. 
So it's really, really frustrating. And all the software, well, sorry, all like the like hardware updates have been installed. I'm still on um, I'm still on El Capitan, but I, I, that, there's no way that's actually the problem. Um, so that, that's just uh, hugely disappointing. I haven't had as many issues on my 2015 MacBook Pro, but um, yeah, it's it the the Wi-Fi thing is not as reliable or as foolproof as as they would suggest. Huh? Yeah, I hmm. Yeah, I, I have not have not seen that. And, and things like it's just so tough to track down. But like, and things like it, it, there's no way it has anything to do with like the mesh part of um, Eero because I'm I'm only using one right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't like, I don't know if I should like, if I should contact them. Cause like, what, what, what would they actually even do? Maybe I should just go back to a standard router. Cause like, this was never an issue on like an airport extreme. And unfortunately, like I would always prefer to have like my desktop, um, hardwired in. But again, because like the router and modem are in the center of the room, there's just really no good way to do that. Unless I run a cable, like awkwardly around like two thirds of the apartment. So you could try, I don't know, you could try swapping it out with the other one that you haven't used just just to check off the box that it's not some weird hardware thing. That's actually a good point. Um, well, actually, and I wouldn't have to reconfigure anything because that's all happening through that convoluted hardware router situation I have. So. Well, are you, sure that, are you sure that that's not the issue? No, not at all. Okay. No, because like it, it's it's just it's literally only Wi-Fi and almost entirely just this one computer. Okay. Like the thing is like uh, the MacBook Pro is is almost always fine. I think actually always fine. So hmm. yeah. Again, it's 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 a weird product, but like when when I look at like this uh, the Eero subreddit, like where like there's kind of like an ad hoc support forum, like that's where when I was uh, deciding to buy it, like where I learned about all the. Um, iOS Wi-Fi calling problems. And it seems like there's a fair amount of people who have issues that probably aren't going to be resolved that the developer just responds like, oh yeah, the chipsets and Macs are weird. Hmm. When, when you kind of think that Eero, like maybe it's just because of the podcast we listen to, but I, th- I think of it as like an Apple first product kind of. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, very much so. I mean, it's that their iOS app is clearly where they've, put their the most of their effort yeah so when i have more time and uh next week i'll probably i'll probably try swapping it out yeah that's not that's if the fcc doesn't uh uh do something to my internet first nice nice transition see i'm trying to save it for you because you did such a good job teeing it at the uh, teeing it at the top thank you um yeah so you know i i think we've we've had this problem before ajit pie is that how we're pronouncing Mm -hmm. it okay yep the I FCC, it. yeah, the, the the FCC chairman, current FCC chairman, has has been very clear from day one that that he wants to roll back all of the net neutrality rules that were put into effect back in 2015. So, you know, so this means um, taking away the common carrier designation under Title II of the Communications Act that the FCC had put internet service providers in 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 2015, basically rolling back to pre pre 2015 rules um the the quote the quote from this ars technica article is he wants to reverse the quote reverse the mistake of title ii and return to the light touch regulatory framework that served our nation so well during the clinton administration bush administration the first first six years of the obama administration 
years when the internet was not important. <laughs> or I mean, like if I say I say that in jest, but the Clinton administration, like the internet, wasn't where ninety percent of everything in the world happens. When I guess you know what I'm what I have always failed to hear are are the good reasons why internet traffic should not or internet service providers rather should not be under title two because right. it discourages innovation reinvestment into infrastructure um and it messes with uh free markets is has, is what i understand but is there i mean is there any evidence that that's happened in in the two years since that change has been made not at all okay so i mean like a, a pie's suggestion is that like if 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 we treat the internet this way and there's no incentive to innovate or or have a have other avenues to make money that Comcast or somebody else will just not bother investing or upgrading their infrastructure to support new new technologies or meet the demands of users is what i am told which makes absolutely no sense because like the ultimate free market way for this to decide would be for well, actually, for there to be fewer regional monopolies and that kind of stuff, but for the providers to just try to provide the best service to all traffic regardless, and the consumers would choose the best, fastest providers. Right. I mean, and that's that's exactly, and and that's the we don't have that, which is the reason why we need net neutrality. Well, and also in net neutrality on the other side of things is not it's not even just the connection speed and that kind of stuff, which that there's a lot to be said about that. And that's an entirely different discussion. We don't have time for today, but like uh, traffic being treated equally by every carrier is important to like new ventures on the internet or new technologies that come up online. Because if let's say peering deals and stuff, make it so that whatever the next, uh, the next Netflix is going to be, can't do it because Netflix and Comcast have this tight knit partnership where their content streams extremely reliably and therefore and this new company that probably can't afford to pay for these gigantic peering deals as much as a company that spends six billion dollars a year on original content like that's a business and a new service that could benefit consumers that won't exist like it's that kind of stuff where protecting all content and allowing it to flow freely rather than being prioritized or slowed down is 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 a very valid and important use of government and regulation you're you're speaking way way too much sense we can't we can't really have that like because as somebody who used to or you oh, no i was gonna say almost i was gonna say sometimes kind of does but no right now used to identify as a republican <laughs> like you know like i was more like kind of like a michael bloomberg republic like or like like those kind of like I'm in favor of business and a lot of things, but and I socially, I do what you like. But <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I like do. you know because there's that bullshit thing that people always say that I hate now. But like, uh, socially liberal, uh, financially conservative. But but that that because of Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, all these uh, nice people in D.C. Um, is 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 now a absolutely perverted language. Just like we'll see tomorrow in the healthcare vote. Um. Where was it? Not? So, like, I I would normally think that like, why wouldn't a Republican like, why would you not just want the free market to sort it out? Like, they're they're always about 
um, all these types of things of of to incentivize business to just do whatever they like want. Like th- all you have to say is do the best, but you can't charge differently for different types of like the internet is a different type of of service, and I don't see where just saying that you have to treat content the same is that onerous a requirement and saying that you can't screw and i know this is not entirely related but saying for privacy reasons like you can't just resell incredibly private data of your customers for because you're jealous of google and facebook being uh ad advertising monopolies like like why are these basic regulations and just fundamental protections so onerous like th- those aren't counter to free market business practices, and also aren't they aren't uh, aren't they about allegedly about pro uh, like pro liberty and privacy? Isn't that always their thing? Hands off our guns, half off ha- hands off our fucking internet. <sighs> Can that be the title? Wait, no, no. <laughs> mm. All right, it's going long. Do you, do you have anything else on this? Uh, no, I, I think I think you've said it said it quite eloquently. All right, I'll let you do picks of the week. Okay, or I will encourage you. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, thank you, sir. You have permission. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I I have sort of a um, uh, maybe a surprising pick of the week. Um, given that this this might not be a piece of software that you would kind of associate with. Um, the techie sort of people like, like you and I consider ourselves to be. Um, but over the last month I've migrated all of my personal finance stuff to Quicken there. They, they sort of, uh, into it sort of, um, at doubled down as, as you famously say, frequently the, the Mac version of Quicken this year, Quicken 2017 for Mac was sort of a big, big upgrade apparently. And so that that's what I what I purchased a month or so ago, and you know I I had just been managing all that in Excel previously. Never was a thousand percent happy with the way that I was doing that. It was always kind of a a manual time staking process to update that. Um, and so I wanted something that was you know more reliable, could be sort of automatically updated as transactions came in. Um. And, you know, there's a handful of different solutions out there. Um, None of them seem like they're kind of the runaway favorite. Um, And the other thing that I had going for me was I had used Mint kind of back in the day. And then I currently use QuickBooks at my office. So I'm kind of in the the Intuit, um, Intuit world. And so a lot of the conventions um, in Quicken just kind of make makes sense and i've been using it um again for about a month and it's it's pretty good i mean it's not i wouldn't say it's it's spectacular but it 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 does a nice job that the budgeting stuff is pretty good um it's got some custom reporting functionality that's nice you know overall it's 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 pretty solid and i i've been i've been happy with it i think it's it's a step forward um out of just doing everything in in excel Hmm. So I guess, and again, I'm not going to pry into your finances, but as an individual, like what, um, what complexities is it or problems is it solving? 
Well, I think one of the big holes that I had in Excel was it, it was just a running document. So, you know, as paychecks came in and as expenses were were incurred, I, you know, I didn't I didn't really archive them. I just sort of they just they just sort of went away. I just sort of deleted them. And so it it was hard to have like a good retrospective view of of finances. Like I had, I had a pretty good setup where I could project out in the future. But if I, if I ever wanted to look back, um, <clears throat> that I, where I, I wasn't really super set up to do that. And I, I guess I could have archived, you know, expenses and transactions as I went along. But that that sort of just gets to be kind of unwieldy. Um, and then the other thing too, was just kind of a lack of visibility, you know? Yeah. So maybe I, sorry. what, what's funny? No, that, that's just, it, it took me back to meetings. Sorry. <laughs> that's a very, uh, 30,000 feet type term. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it's true in this case where, you know, like if I spent more than I expected in a particular month, like I'd be able to see the the top level number, but if I wanted to kind of dig into, okay, well, like where exactly did I spend too much? It was kind of hard to do unless there were just one or two obvious big dollar expenses. How are you getting data into it? So there's, you know, there's a automatic connection to most major financial institutions. So similar to something like Mint, you enter your login credentials for you know your bank for your credit cards etc and then transaction information's just automatically fed in hmm do they have a free trial i don't think so although um helpful tip which i'm very grateful that i found out before i actually made the purchase is um it's like 65 bucks if you purchase directly from into it but if mm -hmm. you go on amazon and you get a digital copy it's like 40 dollars. exact exact same thing um and are there different because you know like with this type of stuff like it's like windows vista there's always a bunch of bs so like there's eight different versions there is for quicken for windows but for quicken, oh mac, quicken mac for, users get something yeah quicken for mac there is one and only version very elegant okay very mac like right Cool. Manage your money wherever, wherever with our mobile app. New. Uh, the, okay. the, the mobile, so the mobile app is really shitty. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I don't at all get how that works. So, so the, if I, if I understand this correctly, the way that it works is so when you run Quicken for Mac on your computer and you, and you refresh transactions, you refresh your activity you know, it, it's it's pinging all your financial institutions directly to get that information. But when you do it from the mobile app, what's actually happening is it's getting information from some file that the that the desktop app creates. So there's like there's some syncing that's happening, I guess, just on Intuit's side between your desktop database and then your phone so your phone's not directly pinging your financial institutions it's going through your computer so it's, it's just it's not it's not very good okay interesting i'll probably look so, into this so yeah so it's not you know it's not it's not spectacular it's it's not the prettiest app or anything but 
again, the, the big thing for me is like being more and more into the whole QuickBooks thing at work now. It's this is sort of a a logical extension for me. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, all right. And then I do not have a pick of the week. I have a, uh, I am rescind, I am revoking a pick of the week. <laughs> okay. So I think about a month ago I had made the, uh, Bose SoundTouch 300 soundbar, uh, my pick of the week, uh, that, that, that stamp of approval that they're probably using on their website right now is, is, is being taken away because there, there's a feature that I maybe thought was not that annoying at the start, which is to save power unless you're using HDMI CEC, which I'm not, I'm using optical audio and Bluetooth, it will um, do a power saving mode after 18 minutes, 18 minutes exactly. And it will turn itself off. Yeah, my, my soundbar does that too. And I hate it yeah. because it, mm-hmm. doesn't come, it doesn't come back on because I, I pause the TV um, or I mute it and I go make a sandwich or I get distracted and I start looking at dogs on on Instagram or something. And I come back and I'm like, I unpause the TV and the damn thing. Like, it, cause here's the thing. It has a feature where it's supposed to be smart enough to come back on once it starts receiving an audio signal again, except it works like 12% of the time. And it's insanely frustrating. And a bunch of people are complaining about this on like Bose's support forum. And I was like, I was hopeful because they said, Oh, actually we're going to institute a firmware update to say you can turn this feature off. And that was like three months ago, and there's been no response since. Oh, so yeah, so my, my soundbar doesn't even pretend. It, it just does not turn itself back on after turning off. Yeah, you have to just, you know, either walk up to it and press the power button, or you have to go into your Logitech remote, go to devices, and then manually hit the power toggle option. Yeah, like, and I, I might be making this out to be more than it is, just because the thing is, like, there are some features I do like about this. Like when I get up in the morning and like, let's say I'm going to listen to the daily or something. Um, I can just go, if I go into my iPhone and go to Bluetooth and I tap on that Bluetooth device, even if the sound bar isn't on, it wakes itself up because it got a Bluetooth connection, which is actually really nice. But like, hmm, so it's, it's always in some type of like, well, it's low... always in a sleep mode. Hmm. Like it's never off off, which is, which is good. But I just wish it wasn't as aggressive about power saving. And like, because the thing is, it turns on quickly. So like, if it does turn itself off, I don't even have to turn the thing back on. All I have to do is just tap uh, on my Harmony, like the optical as being like the audio source, and it wakes itself right back up. But it's just like, that's just super annoying. Oh, so that's, an, that's, an, that's another great feature about mine is that when you, have to, when you power it back on, it actually takes a, kind of a significant amount of time. <laughs> but my soundbar was like $129, so... No. You know, you get what you pay for. Yeah. So I don't know. That's I'm I'm temporarily suspending and revoking my uh, pick of the week status on this. And then if that firmware update ever comes out, I will give it back because overall I do like the soundbar, but it's the, this has been super frustrating this week. This is like um like a Michelin star restaurant being knocked from like a you know like a three star to a two star. Speaking of which. Hopefully by next month I will have my my website or my my uh, restaurant open. So I'm very excited. Hmm. Yeah. Because that that will be a Michelin star restaurant. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The 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 name of that which which we will not which we will not, not spoil yet. today. No. Yeah. Um. Is is quite good. Yeah. Take that, Thomas Keller. 
<laughs> there was some big long profile of him in uh, the New York Times, and I and it's in my Insta paper. I haven't read it yet, but God, you and you and I are yeah, it's weird. It's it's it's, it's, it's also in my Insta paper. <laughs> Um, and that's, that's what actually made me think of the, the Michelin star thing. Cause he, cause he had a mm-hmm. restaurant in, I think New York that, that was knocked from like four stars to two or something. Um, wait, no, wait, what? No, it's, it, I thought the most, uh, the large, the, the largest number, <laughs> the most Michelin stars you'd have was three. I, I, I think that only, and I think that only existed at like El Bulli and a couple of like extremely, um, uh, prestigious restaurants. It and the most of those weren't in the U.S. I thought so too, but I, I was skimming that New York Times article um, this morning, and I I thought I had saw something about he had a restaurant go from from four to two. I I, I could I guess I could have misread that. Yeah, I think ad hoc or per se or one of his other ones uh, got knocked down. So so I I'm I'm finding it here. So it it's it's um per per se per se mm-hmm. per se per se. Um, it wasn't, so it, it's, it's the, the, I guess the rating system from the New York times, it got demoted from four stars to two stars. Yeah. It's so not, not Michelin stars, but New York times, the, the failing New York times stars. Yes. <laughs> um, God, I, I'm, I'm going to print my own tote bag. I don't even care. Um, <laughs> have you, let me send you one final, like, actually, I'm going to make this my pick of the week. I'm I I will have one uh, revocation. Is my fuck? Is this? Wait, you can still hear me, right? What what ha- what happened? Did you, did you just did you just have a stroke? No, you can hear me, right? Yeah, okay, yes. Because my now my Mac is doing the thing where it won't load any web pages, but <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's the Eero because I'm obviously talking to you. So, god damn it. Um, or maybe Google's down. No, so I whenever I try to load a web page and it, it's a Google web page and it won't load, and I I think like. Oh, maybe Google's down. Like, no, it's never down. It's never down. <laughs> it's Google. Like, just it, it's always you. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're trying to open a Google Doc. Hmm. Yeah. Um. So this is gonna be my pick of the week. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this before, but it's the New York Times uh, food critic review. I, I uh, have. I have seen this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's when uh, it's when uh, Mr. Wells goes to. Um, Guy Fieri's uh, Times Square restaurant, uh, Guy's American Kitchen and Bar. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I, I, it's been a couple of years since I've read it, so I don't think I have any um, like key pull quotes off the back. But um, oh god, it's it's so good. It's worth every. Yeah, I read. I remember reading this today. It came out, and yeah, I, I don't think I've revisited it since then either. Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm glancing at it now. The one one uh, paragraph here is. Hey, did you try that blue drink? The one that glows like nuclear waste? <laughs> the watermelon margarita? Any idea why it tastes like some combination <laughs> of radiator, radiator fluid and formaldehyde? Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it's okay. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, that's my pick of the week because this, this, uh, this is one of my favorite things ever. And I, I stumble upon it every couple of years. <laughs> um, but this this is... So it, it this is the bottom of the barrel for uh, it, well, it goes BJ's restaurants, then it's probably the Sky Fury restaurant, then it's uh, the French Laundry, and then my restaurant is gonna be right above that. So I had forgotten sort of the, the format of this article about how it is sort of just a bunch of questions, like the example that I just used. Like there's another one here: How did nachos, one of the hardest dishes in the American canon to mess up, turn out so deeply unlovable? 
Why augment tortilla chips with fried lasagna noodles that taste nothing like nothing ex- like taste like nothing except oil? Is this how you roll in Flavor Town? Okay. Let's re- <laughs> let's re- let's wrap this up. I think we should.